Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We're doing a little bit of skipping now. We've gone pretty closely, right, chapter by chapter, but about to jump over into Acts chapter 8 now. Just in your reading of the book of Acts, you'll notice some of the things that, that are just sort of particular to Luke and his style. Remember, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts together. Luke has this habit of introducing somebody that's going to be really, really important later, but he just sort of lets it go by, and you have no idea until later that that guy really really was going to be somebody. It happened in the Scripture this morning. You remember? There's just a person who's going to be really important later, but he doesn't tell you that this guy, watch this guy, he's going to be really big. He just sort of lets him go by. He says his name and tells you a little something and then keeps going. You remember who it was? Yeah, Barnabas. Barnabas this morning, he just, sort of, he just sort of appears and he tells this little bit of story and goes on. And, if, and you wouldn't be surprised if you never heard from him again, but you will. Barnabas is going to be huge in the book of Acts and probably, though not as big as this guy. Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 1, it's just this, Saul was one of the witnesses. Witnesses to what? Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 6, what happened? The death of Stephen. So uh, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. He did it again there. He just sort of tells us about this guy named Saul. He doesn't really tell you this guy's going to be big. Watch him. What he's doing now, he won't be doing later. He just sort of lets it go by. But that's your introduction to Saul. And this passage right here, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, this is a turning point. This is where the story changes dramatically. Uh, Up to this point, most everything that we've seen, all of the stories have taken place pretty much in one place, and that place is Jerusalem, Jerusalem. But remember, Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. All right, so the mission begins in Jerusalem, but, but, but the plan, the purpose was always that they would go beyond, that they're not going to stay in Jerusalem. So what is it that eventually leads them to start fulfilling their mission? It's persecution. It's devastating, isn't it? And frightening in a way to, to think about that, that, that they really don't step out and begin to fulfill the larger mission Jesus has for them until the persecution begins, until it becomes nearly impossible just to stay in Jerusalem as the church, that great church uh, in, that was strong in unity and powerful in witness and radical in their sharing, uh, that couldn't last long. And so it becomes broken up, it becomes busted up, and they become scattered everywhere. And it's in that scattering that they begin to actually fulfill their mission. The believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. If it took persecution to make the earliest church begin to move toward fulfilling their mission, what will it take for us? Now, we know everything that we should be doing, and we know all the things that we could be doing, but for the most part, we just go Sunday by Sunday, and, and, and let's be honest, we, we just don't really step out very far. 
We love what we have here. This is a fantastic church. I could spend all eternity just worshiping with you all Sunday after Sunday. This is a, a wonderful way of life that we have together. Wouldn't you all agree? But I'm not sure that this wonderful way of life that we have together is actually a fulfillment of God's real purpose for our lives on earth. That's what heaven can be. We can do that forever in heaven. That's what heaven will be. But, but this is not heaven. This is the world. And in this world, we are sent out to be witnesses. We are his witnesses. So what will it take for us in this lifetime, in our own lifetimes, what would it take for us to, to step out like the early church did, eventually to, to break out of that, that, that comfort, to, to break out of that familiarity and really begin to step out in, in a big way for the, for the Lord? What would it take for us? Jack echoes what Pat said earlier. We, we've just got to open our, our eyes. Uh, everybody in this place, if you knew there's somebody with a need, I know that you'd do anything you could to meet that need. I know that. I, I know that. We all know that about each other. You, you would give a kidney out of your body to anybody who had a need. I, I know that about every single one of you. But we don't see need. Even though it's all around us, we just literally don't see it. And, and, and we can say that they need to ask, but, but at the same time, we all know we need to see. We just need to learn to see. And, and we just don't have eyes to see the need around us, the, the world around us. We don't see. Uh, Jack also mentioned that we run so fast. Uh, we don't see because everything is a blur. We are in motion. Uh, we really would need to slow down and make some time for people. What else? What, what would it take to, to push us into our mission? Ken. Uh-huh. President, our president, had said that everybody that he comes on in contact with is doing well. And if they're not doing well, he doesn't come in contact with them. Yeah. It sounds like us. It sounds like the church, doesn't it? Everybody we meet seems to be doing well. And if they're not doing well, apparently we're not coming in contact with them. I ask you again, what will it take to put us in the world where the needs are? What would it take to, to push us out to where we fulfill the mission God has for us? More resources, more money, would that help us? Because we could do a lot with more money now, couldn't we? Probably not more resources. That probably would not be what would inspire us to, uh, to radical obedience. Joe Neal. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. We can talk ourselves out of uh, our instinct to be generous, our instinct to help. We can talk ourselves right out of it, can't we? Yeah. Uh, unless we're broken. There's something about a broken spirit. There's something about brokenness in, in, in us. When, when I am broken, I tend to be much, much more connected to the brokenness in others. Have you noticed that? Uh, when, when, when you are sick, I, I think of Bill with cancer four times. Uh, when you are in that situation, when, when you are uh, under an incredible diagnosis or when you are at the hospital and, and, and suffering in that way, you are very, very connected to all the others who, 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 who suffer and who struggle in the same ways that you are. But brokenness has this incredible ability to sensitize our hearts to one another. It, it makes us not blind to one another. It's comfort that makes us blind. Brokenness has a tendency to, to open our eyes. So the persecution manages to, 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 to break the church, to, to put them under stress. But, but, but the way that the church breaks open then makes it possible for the church to scatter and therefore to fulfill its mission. Uh, jump down now to verse 26, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And let's pick up with this one story with a man named Philip. This is an amazing story and one that many of you are going to know, but, but let's dig into it tonight for just a few minutes and uh, see what we can learn. Remember that our idea is if we're going to have what they had, we got to do what they did. Uh, I couldn't really do that this morning because don't be like Ananias and Sapphira. Don't, don't do what they did. Uh, instead, the message this morning was, was to guard authenticity. You can't be perfect, but you can be real. You don't have to be fake. We, we don't want to let that kind of hypocrisy ruin what, what Christ is doing among us. But in, in this story tonight, there are good examples of obedience we can follow. So look and listen for what we can do as they did in Acts chapter 8 verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading out loud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along, the, walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And so Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. Passage of scripture he'd been reading was this one. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as the lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Okay, interesting. Um, verse 26, how does this whole episode begin? We got Philip, but then what happens right from the start? 
Philip encounters in an angel. Remember the Greek word for angel, angelos, is just messenger. Okay, it's a heavenly, a spiritual messenger. And this is what angels do. They, they, they carry messages typically. So th- there's a message. And what is the message for Philip? Yeah, this is before GPS, y'all. So, so, so the Lord wanted Philip to, to, to go, so he gives him directions. Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to, to Gaza. So you've got the angel. And, and also what happens now in, in verse 29, what, what happens again now? Philip listens to the message from an angel, and then the next instruction comes from from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to, to Philip. So in this passage, we have an angel and the Holy Spirit. What do they do? What's the function, the role of the angel and the Holy Spirit? What, what do they do? And also, what do they not do? Let's start with what they do. To deliver the message to Philip. Yeah. And that message is primarily instructions go where to go exactly where to go and then the holy spirit it's the same sort of thing go over it's it's an extra nudge from the spirit move closer go over walk alongside that carriage so so you have the messenger from god the angel and also the holy spirit nudging philip so that he will be in the path of these this divine appointment God obviously wants Philip to encounter this Ethiopian, this, this man, this uh, government uh, servant from Ethiopia. And, and so in order to make sure that that happens, that the spirit and the angel both guide Philip so that he's right there in the right place at the right time. That, that's good. What do they not do? Well, now, Jack, do the, we got to go to the end of the story because you're making me go there now. Yeah, at the very end, what does the spirit so that the spirit do? Snatch him away. What does that mean? Does that mean what I think that means? Because it really does sound like you know Philip is baptizing the Ethiopian, and after he comes up by the water, boom, he's just gone. He's he shows up in a Zotus. Is that what happened? Just like teleportation. <laughs> Because if we can do what they did, I, I'm, I'm first, man. I, I, I'm, going, I'm going to Florida, y'all. Uh, just, uh, isn't that amazing? So in a sense, the Spirit has that power to snatch him up and drop him, but that's not, let's just say, not ordinarily how the Spirit moves us. That's not, that's not going to be normative. Ordinarily, how does the Spirit move us? Like this, yeah. It's 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 a voice. It's not an audible voice. Not for most of us. Just just a, a voice, a, a nudge. Just, you know, I I got this sense I should do this. And often you don't really know it was the spirit until hindsight. You think, oh my goodness, that was the spirit. I I just had this nudge and and I followed it and look what happened. So there's this nudge that the spirit speaks to Philip and nudges him in the direction of obedience. What does the spirit, the angel, not do? Yeah, the spirit, the angel, they don't preach the gospel. This would be a lot more efficient maybe if you just sort of cut out the middleman and just let the angel pop up. And I mean, you know, if we're just going to pop somebody in and out, let's just pop the angel into the carriage. That ought to do it. I mean, let the angel, let the messenger from God just explain the scriptures. And, you know, I mean, why not just let the angel do it? Or for that matter, if, 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 
If the Ethiopian needs some guidance and understanding of Scripture, why not just let the Holy Spirit do that? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Now, what do you say, Claude? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, this is the mission of the church. This is the mission of individual Christian believers. We are the witnesses, and it is our message. So the Holy Spirit doesn't do the preaching. Now, the Holy Spirit prepares the way. We can't do it without the Spirit. We can't convict a heart of sin. Uh, we, we can't do what the Spirit does, but however, there is still a part of this job that the Spirit will not do in our place. We preach the gospel. We share the message. We tell what we have seen and heard. So understand that, that the spirit, the angel, had this incredible role in the story, but it's mostly in just guiding Philip toward perfect obedience so that he can be a witness. And that's the same thing that the spirit's doing in your life as well. The spirit is nudging you in this very same way every single day. You say, well, Brother Tim, I don't think I ever hear that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You'll see a person and you'll just have this thought. I wonder about her. I wonder, I wonder if she needs help. You'll just sometimes have this thought, but you tend to ignore it. Rather than obey, rather than listen to the voice of the Spirit, you and I often sort of fall into a pattern where we disregard it. Not necessarily because we, we're, we want to be disobedient, but primarily because we will tell ourselves we don't have time. Or we'll tell ourselves that that's just crazy, that, that, that that's just us thinking that, that we wouldn't be the person to help or we wouldn't be the person that, that would have the message. We, we will tend, as Joan Neal said, to talk ourselves out of it every time. And, and that's the habit we have to stop doing. We need instant obedience. Understand, the devil is never going to suggest that you might, you know, maybe reach out in Jesus' name to the person beside you. So if you hear that voice that says, hey, move there, go there, go to that person, that's probably the Holy Spirit. It's a pretty good bet. And even if it's not, what do you lose if you just try to reach out in Jesus' name? You understand? So just follow Follow that urge. Follow that nudge from the Spirit. Get in the habit of instant obedience. Pray that we can be instantly obedient in this way. We can do what he did. It just involves obedience. So what's the eunuch's question? Philip ends up uh, actually... Uh, alongside the chariot, and he hears a man reading out loud, because I remind you, that's the way everybody read in those days. Everybody reads out loud. There's no such thing as reading silently. So the man is reading out loud, and Philip hears it, and Philip's a man of the word, and he knows the scripture. So Philip just asks a question. What's he ask? 
Yeah, what do you think about what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Because he's reading the prophet Isaiah, he's reading the Bible. Notice Philip, it's, it's, it, this isn't rocket science. He just starts right there where that man is. I mean, right there. It's a really simple question, but it's the obvious question too. This man's reading the Bible out loud. So Philip just starts right there with the scripture that he's reading and says, what do you think about what you're reading? The man says, I don't get it. I, I, I don't understand it. How can I possibly understand it, he says in verse 31, unless someone instructs me? Is that a real question? Does he really need someone to explain it to him? John says, yes. I thought the book of John says that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that the Holy Spirit would remind us of everything Jesus taught and did, and that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all the truth. But the Holy Spirit's going to use Philip. What's the difference there? And, and, and I, I didn't mean to trick John. What's the difference? When, the, when Jesus told his disciples, the Holy Spirit will be your teacher. Yeah, yeah. This man's not a believer. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. So he can't understand it. He, he literally can't. Now, there's some ability to read and comprehend that anybody would have. But the scripture makes plain that there's some things, spiritual things, that you need the Spirit to understand. So this man is honest. How can I? I'm, I'm going to need some help to get there, he says. And, and so Philip begins to help him. Philip comes up into the carriage and sits with him. Yeah. Now, I remind you, I don't know what Philip had going that day, but whatever he had going, he is way, way off his schedule now. Understand? Jack was talking about the need sometimes just to slow down. I mean, Philip is now, he probably had plans, but his plans, you just, he, just, he just blew his plans when he got in the car with somebody else. Understand? He's not driving anymore. So now he's in this guy's carriage. And remember, this guy's carriage is, is heading toward Ethiopia. Now, you may start out going to work and following the Spirit, end up in Ethiopia. Is that going to be okay? Oh, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. So the passage of Scripture you've been reading was, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb is silent before the shearers. He did not open his mouth. And the eunuch said, who's he talking about? Is Isaiah talking about himself or, or someone else? That's such a good question. Such a good question. So beginning with this very same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is the key to understanding the Old Testament. Jesus is the key to reading scripture. So, so Philip just tells him about Jesus. But I want to call your attention to this amazing gift of Philip. He, he listens. He listens to the angel. He listens to the Holy Spirit. And now he listens to this man. This man asks an incredible question, and it's just, I mean, I mean, my goodness, any one of us could have led this man to the Lord. I mean, this man, he seems like he's leading himself to the Lord. He's reading the Scripture. He's reading the right Scripture, and he's asking the right question. In some ways, I would, I would suggest to you that, that when you begin to share Jesus with people, you will find out that often they're asking the right questions. We just don't usually listen long enough to find out what questions they're asking. We sort of practice our answers here at church. And so I've got like a, a, a little sheet of answers to all of life's questions. And I'm going to step out in the world and I'm going to give you my answers. The problem is nobody's going to listen to your answers until you have heard their questions. 
You listen to their questions, and then Jesus is always the answer. I'm with you. He's always the answer, but they're not going to listen to our answer until we've heard their questions. So you have to get up in the carriage with them. You have to be a little bit willing to head toward Ethiopia temporarily, and you've got to listen to the questions that people are actually asking. They're always asking gospel questions when you listen, and the gospel is always the answer, but you've got to hear the question first. So Philip is this amazing listener. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Well, you know, mainly because you need to be saved. When did he get saved? When did he get saved? Yeah. Did he pray a prayer? What did he say, John? Yeah. When did he believe? There's no aisle. Don't we need Brother Rod to come up and sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here? Like nine verses, don't we need a deacon to go to in case you have a physical need of healing? When did he get saved? As, as they rode along. I mean, what has to happen for a person to get saved? They have to believe and confess. And he does. As they go along, he, he does all of these things. And then he knows that the next step's baptism. He's a Christian. There's some water. There's a puddle right there. Why can't I be baptized? So he gets baptized right there. Isn't this amazing? I remind you, this isn't what Philip planned for this day, but this is the best day ever. So what is this passage, just, just so you notice this, what does this passage sort of suggest and underline about the way a person is baptized in Scripture? What's baptism look like? Because there are some arguments between denominations about how baptism should look. But it seems pretty plain here. Yeah, he went down into the water. It wasn't just, you know, there's a puddle. Would you splash me? You know, and, and I'm not being critical of those who see baptism differently. I'm just saying right here in Scripture, it's pretty plain that, that baptism involves immersion. They, they go down into the water, and they come up, up out of the water to, to, together. So you can see the man's baptism right there. And then Philip is snatched away. The eunuch never saw him again. We don't ever hear from this eunuch again. Never. We don't know his name. We don't know anything. Except church historians, archaeologists, we know that one of the oldest Christian communities on the planet is in Ethiopia. Strange. People say, where did that come from? How did the gospel get to Ethiopia so early? Well, there was this Ethiopian man in a carriage one day. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go walk alongside that carriage. And Philip did. And the gospel goes to Ethiopia just like that. Now, I, I remind you, Philip wasn't any different than you or me. I don't think he went to seminary. I, I, I don't know anything about it other than he was one of those people that had experienced the gospel. He, he had experienced something of Jesus, and he was willing to tell about it. 
And his willingness to tell literally changes the world in a way that he can't even imagine. He was just obedient this day. And look what the Lord did. So quickly, wrapping up. What are the lessons of obedience for us? If we want to have what they had, we're going to do what they did. So what is it that we should try to do tomorrow as we walk out of this place and learn from Philip and the Ethiopian? What do you think? Yeah, be obedient to the Spirit. What, what, what you feel like the Spirit is saying, you should do. What if I'm not sure, Dad? Sometimes I'm not sure. Go for it. What if I'm wrong? What if I witness to the wrong person? Yeah, I still need the practice. Yeah, I still need the practice. I don't think we can waste the gospel on anybody. Yeah. And more than likely, the person who hears the name of Jesus from my lips is the person that Jesus wanted me to talk to all along. Yeah, let's be instantly obedient to the voice of the Spirit. What else, Ken? Did you want to say something? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a tremendous willingness that Philip has to allow his agenda, his priorities to be set by the Spirit. I remind you, he didn't plan on going halfway to Ethiopia, and he sure never expected to wind up in Azotus. How's he ever going to get home? The same Spirit who dropped him in Azotus will take him home when he's time to be home. Yeah. Go ahead, John. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Philip is obedient. He leaves and goes to Samaria where nobody wanted to go. Look how God uses him. God will use us as well when we begin to live our lives on mission. Brother Mark, go ahead. Yeah. In the Gospel of John, that obedience is always connected to our love for him. If you love me, you'll obey me. Yeah, so if it's all that difficult for us to allow uh, the Lord to rearrange our priorities, we have to look and ask how much we love him. Maybe not as much as we've told ourselves. Philip loved Jesus and never questioned. Yeah, go ahead, Dad.
We can be the one that, yeah, that in that moment of obedience, in that divine appointment, we just step in and say the word that a person needs to hear that leads them to Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there another hand? Somebody else? Uh, yeah, go ahead, Scott, and then Josh. Right. It is a beautiful adventure, isn't it? Wouldn't you? I mean, I just, there's something about that way of life I'd love to live. I mean, I have to text Casey, tell her I'm in Azotus, so I'll be late for supper. Uh, Josh. Yeah, Lucas and Amanda literally at this moment are doing what Philip did, only they don't have to leave their house. Uh, They're opening their home to international students, Saudi Arabians. Uh, Tonight they're meeting with an Indonesian believer, a Christian, which we're all excited to to meet that person. Um, They're opening their home, bringing them in. These will hopefully come to Jesus and then go back to their home. So right there in their living room, in their kitchen, Lucas and Amanda can be world missionaries. It's, It's pretty amazing. If you're on Facebook this afternoon, Amanda, though, responded to the message this morning, and she just simply asked for, for something that she says she needs, and it's really hard for her to ask, but she just simply says, God has opened this opportunity for having internationals in their home, they're, they're feeding supper every Sunday night, um, and she just says, God's not given me the gift of hospitality, and, and she's just asking if, if a woman would help her, would somebody help her? Um, I've asked, I've asked, uh, I've asked Lucas like a hundred times, Lucas, y'all good, don't need help? He says, we're good, we're good, don't need any help. Uh, uh, and all the women are laughing, yeah. Uh, Amanda would like some help. It doesn't have to be the same woman every week, but, but would anybody just go help her? Um, I, I know that they're very sensitive to the diets of the international, so it's not the sort of thing where we can just maybe, you know, get a bunch of barbecue and take it over, because that's not going to work. Um, the way the food is prepared and all of that is kind of important. However, Lucas and Amanda are, are taking this on in a big way. They just live right there. So 
Uh, so some of us who are already coming to church, if we could take maybe a Sunday night, uh, take some, uh, some of our time, ladies, and, and, and help Amanda. I don't know exactly what she needs, but at this point, she's asking for help. And uh, let's get behind them. They're doing good work. I mean, they're doing amazing, amazing work. Let's make it really possible for Lucas and Amanda to keep this going. And Amanda's just saying it's hard. Jack. Yeah, yeah, it's it's absolutely an amazing ministry. Lucas and Amanda are just on fire, and I'm really proud of them, but they need our help. So, so ladies, if you see that on Facebook or if you're on Facebook, go looking for that. She posted that in our church's uh, post uh, late this afternoon. Find that and, and figure out how to help her. Uh, again, she's asking for women's help, uh, so that kind of uh, puts it on you ladies. But, but respond to Amanda. Uh, let her know that you're there for her. Let's find a way to help them. Dale. Yeah. Yeah. That was a true story, a man from San Francisco who left a suicide note at home that said, I'm going to walk to the bridge. If, if even one person smiles at me between here and there, I won't jump. But he jumped. Yeah. Nobody, nobody, nobody saw him. Yeah. Let's, uh, are you, go ahead. Joshua, we're so glad you drove out into the sticks. Yeah, we're so glad you drove out. Of- <laughs> what road are you taking, man? Yeah. Uh, we love you. Thank you for thank you for following the Spirit uh, to be a part of our church. Uh, let's be dismissed with prayer.